Well, let me ask you, what motivates you to give your best? Did you ever ask that question? What, what does it look like to give your best? If you're thinking like me, I, I love just when people accomplish incredible feats or when people put in this, these incredible efforts and accomplish great things. Some of you may be familiar with the name Dean Carnesis. Uh, Dean uh, was a marathon runner, and Dean decided that he was going to run 50 marathons in 50 days in 50 states in 2006. Now, I get winded running in my car when it's hot outside, and he ran an ultramarathon in the Mojave Desert over 120 degrees. I mean, this is a true Iron Man. Or some of you may be familiar with the name Felix Baumgartner. Felix was the man who set the, uh, the, the record, uh, of, uh, record skydiving miles per hour as he jumped out in outer space in a, in a suit and traveled at Mach 1.25, which is, which is 969 miles an hour. That's the sonic barrier, the sound barrier. So he was going fast enough for it to go boom. I mean, just imagine, right? You know when you got to put on a space suit, right, before you do anything? It's legit. Like, seriously, legit. Or some of you might know Alex, Alex Honold. If, if you guys are into mountain climbing or you ever saw Free Solo, Alex climbed the Yosemite, um, let's see, they call it the Triple Crown. So it's Mount Watkins, El Capitan, and the northwest face of Half Dome. He climbed all three of those in less than 19 hours. So just incredible feats. And if you're like me, I love stories like this because what you're seeing is people giving their best, putting in an unbelievable effort. But you know one thing. They didn't wake up that morning and say, you know what, I think I'm going to climb Half Dome today, right? Like, I think I'm going to jump out of a spaceship, right? Like, you don't just wake up and do that. You train for that. You, you work your way up to that point. It, it, it involves every bit of your life. And, and some of you, you guys played sports, or you were in the military, or you were on a, a special project or a special team, and you know what that's like, like putting in the effort time and time again. But I think for, for most of us, it motivates us because when we look and we see people who give their best, we feel this little tug inside of us because if we're honest with ourselves, we don't as often as we'd like. You know, there's a, a study done recently by a group of psychologists in neuroscience, and they were, they were looking at this idea of effort. And what, they, what common sense tells you that effort has a cost to it, right? You want to you get in shape, you got to eat better, you got to go to the gym. That means you got to wake up and you got to go out earlier or take lunch off or... There's cost to putting in effort. And what, what the psychologists and these neuroscientists found is when we are left to our own devices, we always choose the least effort possible. So, you know, you're in the military, what are you going to do, right? The drill sergeant's like, it's time to go. It's 4.30 in the morning and they're banging on a trash can. You're going to go. But if you have to get up at 4.30 to go to the gym, chances are I'm hitting snooze about 12 times, like, right? Like, I'm hitting snooze a lot. So we tend to take the easy road, and like that's no surprise as we hear that. I don't think any of you are like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. Like I think we tend to drift that way, don't we? Like, you know, I might really want to make lasagna, and I love lasagna. Anybody else love lasagna? Like there's like three of us. The rest of you, you should try it. It's really good. I love lasagna, but you know, I got to go to the store, and I got to buy all this stuff, and I got to decide if I'm going to go ricotta or cottage cheese, and then I got to decide my Italian sausage or hamburger. It's a lot of choices in there. You know what's easier? Olive Garden, right, to go. <laughs> They'll even deliver it to you. Did you know this? It's like amazing. 
it's easy to choose the, the easy road. But that's why we get so motivated when we see people who don't. Because we know there's something inside of us that says, I want to do more, I want to do better, I want to get stronger, I want to go further. And so what psychology has found is there's this thing called the effort paradox. Somebody say effort paradox. So here's what the effort paradox, here's a long definition, but here's basically what the effort paradox says. Part of it's common sense. You guys know this already. If there are rewards for putting in the effort, you're more likely to do that thing that involves the effort. It's why when you go to the gym, you hate going to the gym. I hate working out, but then you commit to going three days a week and you start seeing some gains, right? You start seeing your ribs for the first time. That was a big moment, right? You start to, to see some veins in your arms and you're like, man, this, like, this is looking kind of good, you know? I can't wait to get home. And Courtney's like, what are you talking about? Like, you look normal. Like, nothing's changed. But, like, you start to see some, some progress, and it motivates you to go further. But there's another part to this paradox as well, and that, that is this, that when we start to see that putting an effort is actually valuable, not because of the end result, but because of what it does for you now, then we are more likely to put in the work. And I think this is important for us to recognize because we don't have to be people who just settle for the least effort possible, who live life just kind of ho-hum, coasting from situation to situation. We can be people who are motivated, who are fired up, who are excited, who are ready for what life is bringing. And that is possible. So here, I want you to ask yourself a question. I want to just to be honest with this. Is if you had to put a percent of the effort on your life that you give for, for work, or for your relationships with your spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend, or with your kids, where would you rank it? Like, what percentage do you put in? Some of you might say, you know, I put in 90% at home, but I'm, maybe I'm more like 40 at the office. Like, what would your percentage be? 70, 55, 40, 20? Like, some of us may be in a season where we're just coasting, and we feel like, man, there's nothing that really fires us up. So what is it for you? So I think this is an important question that we need to ask because, as John Key says, you get out of life what you put into it. You put minimal effort into life, you're going to get minimal results out of life. Harvard Business Review looked at this idea of effort, and they came up with what's called the IKEA effect. Anybody here ever put together something from IKEA? Okay, those of you that have, your life is better. This is what Harvard found. If you haven't, you need to. This is what they're talking about because you can go buy a dresser anywhere. American Furniture Warehouse, Kirkland, go buy a dresser. But when you buy a dresser from Ikea, yeah, it's cheaper. Yeah, it, it's going to fall over at some point. But you get something out of the effort of putting it together, and there's, a, there's like a value, a pride of knowing that you put that effort in. And so that's why we love Ikea, because it's super easy. All we got to do is put a couple of screws in here and a couple of nail taps in here, and we're done. But we feel like we accomplished something. And I think that's just the way that God has wired us from the very beginning. So here's one of the things I want to ask is if we feel like we're going through life right now and we feel like life is blah and we feel like maybe our relationships are, are, are just kind of there but they're not fulfilling or we feel lonely. You know that 36% of all Americans have said in a recent survey that they feel lonely. 61% of young adults say that they, they are experiencing loneliness. Maybe you feel unfulfilled at work. 60% of workers say they're unfulfilled. Six out of 10. It's a lot. If you're a boss, pay attention to that number. If you own a company, pay attention to that number. It's a huge number. Could it be that you're getting out of life what you're putting into it? 
And I also want to say the same can go with our faith. If you feel like going to church or going to life group or reading your Bible or whatever it is that comes with your faith leads you to feeling pretty blah, pretty unfulfilled, pretty non-excited, could it be that you're getting out of your faith what you're putting into it? Now, now I don't mean when it comes to our salvation. Jesus has saved us based on his works and not ours. Ephesians 2, 8-10 says we're saved by grace through faith, not of our own works. Like God loves us so much, he richly lavishes his grace on us. And when we say yes to Jesus, we are saved and forgiven, which is great news. So I'm not saying we have to work for our salvation, but what I am saying is if we don't put any effort into our relationship with God, we're not going to get anything out of it either. And so that's a question I want us to ask today is like, what does it look like for us to experience this faith that we see in the Bible or experience the faith that Jesus talks about? And you might be here and you might not be sure about this church and faith stuff. You're like, you know, I'm not really sure. I, you know, I just come for the coffee, right, and the donuts or because I got dragged here, but I'm not really sure I believe any of this stuff. What I want to encourage us to see today is wherever we are in the spectrum is that when the Bible talks about the richness and the fullness and the deepness that comes from a relationship with Jesus, it's not painting some fairy tale, some pie in the sky. What Jesus tells us about life that can be lived and enjoyed and the, 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 the abundant life where we can know that we're doing what we were meant to do and created to do and designed to do, it's available, but it means that we have to learn to start giving God our best. And actually putting in effort so we can experience the value, the effort paradox of living the way we were created to live. And you might ask, what does that look like? What does it look like for me to, to begin to start giving God my best? Well, I'm glad you asked because we're going to see today in Mark chapter 14 a, a story of Mary giving Jesus her best. So flip to Matthew, or I'm sorry, Mark chapter 14. Last week, if you're with us, we kicked off a new series called King of Kings. And we're doing a slow walk through the last week of Jesus' life. And we're going to see these exchanges Jesus has as he walks towards that ultimate day where he goes to the cross and rises from the grave. And we're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday. And so last week we saw Jesus goes into the temple. He starts flipping tables. He starts this ruckus. It actually says at the beginning of chapter 14 in Mark that the authorities and the priests want to, want to arrest Jesus and they want to kill him. So they've, they've got a bounty out on Jesus' head. And Jesus knows this. And so we see Jesus goes back to Bethany, and he's hanging out with his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And this is where we're going to pick up the story here today. So look with me here, Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 3. Notice what Mark tells us. He says this, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, she broke the flask and poured it over his head. This is one of those strange stories that maybe you, you might have heard at camp if you grew up in the church or maybe even in Sunday school. If you read it in your Bible reading plan, you're like, that's just weird. Like, anybody like getting anything poured on their head? Like, I don't, like, don't even touch my head, right? Like, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, you don't want anybody spraying anything on you or, or whatever. This is a whole, imagine a whole flask of of, they call it nard. It, it, it's just like thick, like aloe vera. Imagine somebody squirting a thing of aloe vera on your head. Probably not something you would enjoy, right? So this has always been a really strange story to me. So I want you to imagine the scene. Jesus and, and 
the 12 disciples are hanging out at Simon's house. Simon the leper would have been a le- guy that had leprosy that Jesus would have healed at some point. They're at his house. So they've also got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus who lived in Bethany. So there's like 17 people-ish hanging out. They're having dinner. They're eating. They're doing all these kinds of things. And then Mary walks over. Here's a picture of the alabaster jar. There's a lot of different versions of this, but this is maybe something that it would have looked like. Now, the alab- alabaster is a, it's kind of a, it's a stone. It's kind of a hard stone. Um, and this would have been the one thing that Mary would have owned that had value. You know, you, you might have a few things at home that make, that really are valuable to you. Maybe it's your, you know, your great grandma's wedding ring or it's your Patrick Mahomes rookie card or, right? It's like, it's something. But this would have been the thing for Mary, right? Typically what happened was in that culture, um, an alabaster jar would have been given to Mary by her parents. Uh, these alabaster jars were full of this really expensive ointment called spikenard. Somebody say spikenard comes from a plant in India. And so it's a really popular thing in first century, first century Israel. A mom or dad would gift their daughter uh, a, an alabaster jar full of spikenard. And then this, this would be something that was very valuable that she would hold on to. And then when she got married, it would be given to her husband. And when her husband passed away, this would be used to um, prepare the body for burial. So this was a long-range gift. This was a big deal. This was worth like a year's worth of wages. So if you make 50 grand a year, this is a $50,000 ointment gift, right? Now, they were sealed, right? So they didn't go bad because they were going to be around for decades. And so imagine this has been sealed. So Mary, Mary intentionally plans to do this. Jesus is hanging out. Jesus is talking. Mary walks over behind Jesus with this jar and has to break it open. Now, I thought about breaking a jar here, but I didn't know that I could do it well. But my guess is she walked over to a table and just, you know, or maybe she had a knife and she popped it like you do with the ketchup. You know what I'm talking about? The old, you guys, you guys know what I'm talking about if you're over 40, right? Young kids just peel back the little thing and dip it. That just, you got to work for it. So she would crack open the top and she walked behind Jesus and she poured it over the top of his head. And Imagine the smell, right? It was perfume. Like they didn't have spray bottles of perfume. So imagine the smell just took over the whole place. Now, fellas, how many of you guys put cologne on today, right? Not enough of you, <laughs> right? <laughs> Wives, look at your husbands. Say, come on. Seriously, guys, deodorant and cologne, this is the way it goes, right? But you know, like you ladies, right, when your, if your husband doesn't normally wear cologne and you put some on, what does she say? Ooh, where are you going today, right? You know, Courtney's like, who are you having lunch with, right? She doesn't do the head shake thing, but she, she does say that. But so imagine that smell, right? And you got to rub it. Just fellas, if you don't do it, you got to, yeah, anyways. So the smell is in the air. Is in the air. Any of you guys wear musks still? Stop it, right? There's so many, there's way many more good smelling colognes. Anyways. But, you, you know, you, you guys, it, the smell fills up the house. Imagine Mary. She breaks this jar and just, whew. It's like those, remember those Scentsy wax candles, right? The good smelling ones? It's just like it floods the air. And it just changes that, that moment. And it's, it's really sweet. So, so she pours it over Jesus' head. No, notice what John says. John gives us another detail to this too. Look at John 12. I'll put the words up here. It says that Mary took a, a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus too. 
So we see that Luke and, Mary, Luke and John aren't contradicting each other. They're complimenting each other. And so Luke tells us she pours it over his head. Or I'm sorry, Mark, she pours it over his head. John says she asked, did she get done with that? She comes and she pours it on his feet. And then she wipes it, her hair on his feet. And just the, the fragrance. And so imagine Jesus' hair now smells great. His feet now smell great. She, her hair smells great. The whole place smells great. Now you might be wondering, this is weird. Like, why would she do something like this? Why would she most likely, this is probably the most valuable thing that she owns. Why would she just give it away to Jesus like this? This is days before he goes to the cross. Nobody knew he was getting, nobody understood that he was getting ready to go give his life for them. Nobody knew he was going to be buried and rise from the grave yet. Why would she do this? I, I think there's, there's something here that we see is that she had this desire in her heart to give Jesus her best. I think sometimes in life, what we give people is based on our relationship with them. You guys ever had Tic Tacs and you're, you pull a Tic Tac out and then the person you're with, you kind of feel like obligated to give them a Tic Tac. You know what I mean? They like look at you and you make eye contact. And at eye contact, you're like, dang, I got to give them one, you know? <laughs> and that's why you're like, you know, you just kind of try to put it away. So then what do you do? Give them one, right? And then if they keep looking you in the eye, you give them two because it's weird. But what happens if your kid wants your Tic Tacs? Just toss them the whole thing, right? Like, here you go. Just save me a couple, you know? Especially when you get the 250, you know they're not coming back, right? They're gone. We give to people based on our relationship with them. If, if you walk up to me and we're, we don't know each other and you're like, hey, Drew, can I borrow your truck to move something? I'll be like, how about I move it for you? If, if we're buddies and you're like, hey, Drew, can I? I'll just toss you my keys before you even finish asking, right? That's just what we do with people. I want you to notice what, what is going on here with Mary. Mary is giving Jesus her best. Why? I want you to notice this. You're taking notes. Our desire to give God our best grows out of spending time with Jesus. If Mary didn't know who Jesus was, you think she would have done this? No, she wouldn't have. But I want you to notice something. As you go back through the, the Gospels, you're going to see that Jesus loves Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They're Lazarus, they're, they're some of his best friends. And so whenever we see Martha and Mary and Lazarus, they're hanging out together. They're spending time together. And you'll see a couple times they talk about Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. You know, there's a story where Martha's like trying to get everything ready and Lazarus is probably just chilling and, Mar and Mary's like sitting at Jesus' feet. And Martha's like, hey, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. And, Je and Jesus is like, Martha, you're concerned about all these things, but Mary is where she should be. So Mary spent time sitting at Jesus' feet over and over again. We see that when Lazarus died and, and, and Jesus came and brought them back to life in John uh, 11, Mary saw that Jesus had the power to raise people from the grave. Mary loved to hear Jesus speak and teach, and she knew that Jesus was special and that he was the Messiah, and he hadn't done all the things yet, but she knew there was something so special and unique about her. And so she, what she wanted to do was to give him her best. Because she loved him and she knew him and she spent time with him. So we give God our best when we spend time with him. So I want you to ask yourself, based on the amount of time, energy, and effort you give to God, what does it say about the amount of time you spend with him? Based on how, whether you give God your best, your, your average, or your worst, does it tell you something about your relationship with him? And how much time you're spending sitting at his feet? I want you to notice something here. Mary didn't just pour out a little bit of perfume on Jesus' head and his feet. Like, you couldn't reseal that jar. Like, it was 
at that point, you couldn't reseal it. So she poured the whole thing out. John says it's a pound. She pours a pound of, of aloe vera ointment, right, on his head and his feet. She gave him everything she had to offer. She gave him her best. And I think it's an amazing challenge for us. Because if I can be honest, I'm speaking about myself here. We are really good at giving God just a little. And then we say, well, God, when you come through, I'll give you more. It's like going to your boss and saying, hey, if you pay me more, I'll work harder. Have you ever done that? How does it work out for you? Not well, right? Hey, God, I'm going to give you just a little bit. And when you bless me, I'm going to give you more. Jesus says, look at Mary. He hadn't done anything for her except love her and teach her and sit with her. And she's pouring out everything of value to her. So I, I think it's a challenge for us. So notice Mary gives Jesus her best, but it's not received well. Notice what happens, starting here in verse, chapter, verse 4. Notice what happens. There were some, it says, verse 4, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, what is indignantly? It's like you're like mad. You're like, what is she doing? So some are indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? Notice they said it was wasted. She's a son of God. She's doing this great thing for the, the, the disciples. Judas is who really says this, we find out later, that says it was wasted. He says, for the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. So we find out later it was Judas. He was the one who betrayed Jesus. And Judas is the one who carried the money belt. And we find out later that Judas was skimming off the top. So of course, Judas didn't want her giving this away. Let's sell it 300 more denarii in the pocket, a couple extra Starbucks each week, right? Like nobody's going to know. And, and so he's, he's upset about this. This was a, another, a year's worth of wages. Why would you do that? And there's a truth that happens in life, I think. When we begin to give God our best, people around us aren't going to understand it. And people who, who don't love Jesus are going to go, why are you wasting your time? Courtney and I, we have a friend, and we were having a conversation over dinner one night. We were talking about um, going to Guatemala on a missions trip. This was back in like 2017, 18. And we were talking about going on a missions trip, and she kind of looked at us and said, well, why? Like, why would you want to do that? And we, we talked to her about the heart and taking the gospel to people that don't know it and loving on people that are walking through hard situations. And she kind of shared with us, she said, well, I think missions is kind of a waste of money. I think it's kind of a, it's a waste of time and effort and, and energy. Like, they don't need us to go tell them what we believe. Like, we should just give them food instead. And, and believe me, like, we need to provide food for hungry people all around the globe. There's no question. But we believe that Jesus is the Savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life, and that Jesus is the only way that we're going to be able to experience the true life that we are meant to live. And people who don't get to hear about that, then they end up separated God from, for eternity, for, forever. And so our heart, our mission at Forefront is to be for the one, right? That's our, our heart is to go and to, to help people to, to know that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the one. And, and, and so, you know, we, we kind of talked about that, but it, it just reminded me as I read this story about, about Mary here, when, when you begin to Jesus, give Jesus your best, you're going to be accused of all kinds of things. And when you begin to give Jesus your best with your time and your effort and your money, people are going to start to say, well, why? You should be doing something else with that. Why aren't you out doing things like everybody else? Why are you wasting your time? And it's just because people don't understand. I was reading a statistic this week. And this is recent. This is last year, 2022. I've got a graphic to show you here. 
It says in 2022, the average user on iPhones spent two and a half hours playing on their, not iPhones, Androids also, you Android people, you're included in this. But two and a half hours a day on social media alone, we touch our, our smartphones on average 2,600 times. Um, we, we watch, so Nielsen, the survey company, found that the average American watches four hours of TV a day. Did you know that four hours times 365 days a year times 65 years of life equals nine years watching TV? I have a nine-year-old daughter. That's like, that's a lot of TV, right? So think about it this way. So if you spend eight hours a day sleeping, last night you did it, but hopefully tonight you will. You work eight hours a day, you watch TV for four, four hours, and you're on social media for two and a half hours a day. Now, probably people are watching TV and playing on social, but whatever, illustration purposes. It gives you an hour and a half left a day. That's an hour and a half left to give your spouse and your kids and your faith your best. How are we doing at giving God our best when we've soaked it all up in other things? And this is why culture doesn't understand when we want to give God our best. See, who gets our best when we live like this? Nobody. Are you getting your best when you live like this? No way. Yeah, good night's sleep is important. Who's getting your best? Is God getting your best? No. Is your spouse getting your best? No. Are your kids getting your best? No. Are your friends getting your best? No. They're not. And here's another reality I want us to see here. We will never see the value in giving God our best if we try to keep our best for ourselves. See, we think that I deserve my best. I deserve my best time. I deserve the best part of the day. I deserve my best effort. But we waste it. We don't know how to give it to our best. The Bible tells us whoever's least is greatest in God's kingdom. Whoever's last is first. There's this principle designed inside of our hearts, the way we're wired. When we give others our best, when we give God our best, when we serve others and give them our best, we get our best in return. You will never get to keep your best. It's just the way that God created the world to work. And so it's a challenge. Mary gives Jesus her best. And I think through this story, Jesus wants to ask us, are we giving God our best? Because when we try to keep it for ourselves, you know what happens? We, we fall into this spiral, this ring of death. Anybody have an Xbox? Any Xbox people growing up over here? Got a couple of you guys. How many of you guys remember the Xbox ring of death? You guys remember the Xbox ring of death? You're playing Xbox with your buddies, and that, that happens, and, like, the mood changes. It's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Because there's nothing you can do to fix it. That Xbox gets the ring of death. The only thing you can do to fix that Xbox this is why I'm a PlayStation guy, by the way, right? The only thing you can do to fix that Xbox is to send it back to the manufacturer because it's done. You can't do anything about it. And I want you to think about it like this. Like when we try to keep our best for ourselves, we try to start doing things that we enjoy every time we fade into this abyss of nothingness where we just can't really find joy. The things that we used to find joy in don't bring us joy anymore, and we end up getting the ring of death, and we need to be sent back to the manufacturer. Well, thankfully... The manufacturer tells us what he does when he fixes us. And that's by saying yes to Jesus. Notice what Isaiah says here. I love this. Isaiah 40, verse 28, it says this. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the heavens of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint to the ring of death, to the people that are blah and are worn out and aren't experiencing any joy and hope in their life. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. 
Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we try to keep our best for ourselves, we're going to get tired. We're going to get bored. We're going to get worn out. We're going to get hopeless. We're going to get lonely. We're going to get fill in the blank. But when we go back to the one who created us, who tells us what it looks like to, to live, and we put our faith in Jesus and we begin to follow a little bit at a time in process, all of us are in process, we begin to follow Jesus, we find that what Isaiah says is true, that we can have everything that promises us and so much more. See, this is what's so beautiful about the Gospels because we see that Jesus gave us his best. That Jesus stepped out of heaven and came to earth, lived a sinless, perfect life, taught us what it looks like to follow him and to live in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus, here in a couple weeks, we're going to see Jesus goes to the cross and gave his life for us and rose from the grave. Jesus gave us his best. And when we realize that Jesus gives us his best, it motivates us to give him ours. So I think there's a reality in life that says that if I don't think I'm going to get something out of it, a good return, then I don't want to put in the effort. If I hate my job, why put in the effort? If I don't think that eating healthy is actually going to work, then why put in the effort? If I don't think that, that putting in time with God will actually change and lead me to somewhere else, then why put in the work? Why even go to church? Why not just hang out in the mountains all the time? But there's this beautiful promise that, that says here that when we realize what Jesus did for us, that he gave his best for us, it motivates us to give him our best because we begin to see that by putting our best effort first, God shapes us and changes us, and we begin to find joy for the first time and peace for the first time and fulfillment and contentment for the first time. So Mary wanted nothing more than, give, than to give Jesus her best, and I want to ask you, what would it look like for you to realize that Jesus wants you to give him yours? Notice how Jesus wraps up this section here. So Judas is criticizing Mary for giving her him his best. And notice what Jesus says in verse 6. It says this. Jesus says, but leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you. And, whatever, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever, the, I love this verse, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Isn't that beautiful? This little thing she did not for her, it's in, it's in the gospels. It's in three of the gospels. It's been proclaimed for 2,000 years because she gave Jesus her best. And I want you to notice this. Nobody knew Jesus was going to be arrested in two days. Nobody understood that he was going to actually go and be crucified. Like, they didn't understand any of that yet. And Mary had no idea that she was praising or preparing Jesus for burial. But Jesus used this. And I want you to see this is the same for you and me. Nothing is ever wasted when we give our best to Jesus. Like, Jesus didn't waste any of this. They, they said it was a waste. Jesus said, this isn't a waste. She's preparing me for burial. She doesn't know what she's doing. She just knew she wanted to do something really nice for me. She's preparing me for what I'm getting ready to do to save the world, to change humanity, to make a difference for every single one of us in this room, in this community, in this city. And she, she did this. And, and, and Jesus says forever this story will be told of her. 
See, the danger that you and I face is that we feel like our effort's a waste. We, I, I guarantee you, every one of you have been in a situation where you've put a lot of effort in and you feel like it, you didn't get any credit for it. Maybe you worked really hard at the company you're at and then you, you retired and it felt like they forgot about you. Or you put in a, a really, really great effort into some projects and you didn't get credit for them. Or you, you left a company and they, gave you, they, they bought you a little cake and a gift card and that was it. You haven't heard from anybody since. Like, we put a lot of effort into things, and sometimes we don't see what we hoped we would see. And I think that's just the human condition. And sometimes we take this into our faith. And we say, God, what's the point in me actually giving you any of my effort for this? Because I'm not going to get to see any of the benefit. What's the point in putting the effort? What's the point in giving my money to missions? I'm never going to see what happens over there. But Jesus is showing us here with Mary that he never wastes a second, a drop, a penny, an ounce of energy when we give him our best. Some of you might know the name William Tyndale. William Tyndale is what they call the, the father of the English Bible. If you know William Tyndale's story, he was born in 1494, and he grew up in a time when in the Catholic Church it was actually illegal to translate the Bible into other languages. Uh, the priests would read Latin. The Bible had been translated into Latin, and Latin was what the priests would read. The problem was nobody spoke Latin except the priests, and they didn't really understand it either. And so uh, about 100 years before, there was a guy named John Wycliffe, and John decided he wanted to translate the Bible, but there was no printing press yet, so John translated the Bible by hand, and they got confiscated, and it got made illegal. In 1408, they came up with a law that said it is illegal to have the Bible in English. And so all the Christians in England just had to go to, to Mass and listen to the Bible read in Latin and not really know what it meant. So... William Tyndale is born. William Tyndale becomes a priest in the church, and he starts to realize that, man, nobody knows what the Bible says. He's reading the Bible, and the priests around me don't even really know what it says. And so he decides he wants to translate the Bible into English. The printing press has now been created. It's the perfect time. So he goes to his bishop, and he says, hey, can I print the Bible in English? And the, the bishop says no. So he goes to the next guy, and he says, hey, can I print the Bible in English? And they say no. So then he goes and he finds some, some English ship merchants who have been smuggling Martin Luther's writings from the Reformation back and forth. And he finds out that they're going to be able to help him smuggle out and back into England. So he goes to Germany and he starts to translate the Bible into English. And then they find out about him. So he has to pick up all of his stuff and run. He got 6,000 copies printed and he smuggled them back to England. As soon as the local church found out that the copies were being circulated around England, they, they basically tried to arrest him, and he fled. They, it, it, they burned him, or they destroyed the copies that they found because it was illegal. So in 1525, he goes back. He, he's able to actually print a full copy of the English New Testament, and he used the Greek manuscript. So it was the first time anybody ever used Greek, the real or the, the original language of the New Testament, and, and, and their Old Testament was also written in Greek at this point, and translated this into English. So this is the very first original English Bible from Greek to English. And so he, he, this is 1525, he, he smuggles it back into England, and it just catches on fire. People are like fired up because they can actually read God's word and hear what it says for themselves. Like it's amazing. People's hearts are changed. People start falling in love with Jesus and getting saved. I mean, it's, it's incredible. Revival was taking place. Well, the church comes down hard on him. He has to go into hiding. He gets betrayed by a friend nine years later, and he gets arrested. And in 1536, 
He actually loses his life and he gets burned at the stake. We're translating the Bible into English. So he's on, he's on the um, platform and he's getting ready to get burned by the stake. And he says these famous words. Some of you may know this. He cries out. So any last words? And he cries out, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Crazy. Three years later, King Henry VIII required every parish in England to have a copy of the English Bible available. The man that killed him actually approved it. His answer, his prayer was answered in part. King James in 1611 had the Bible translated into English, officially. And you and I, today, do you got your Bible with you? If you do, hold it up. If you have your phone, hold it up too, because it's on there. You and I have Bibles in English in our hands today because William Tyndale wanted to give Jesus his best. And his best meant that he lived for a decade plus hiding so he could give us this. And his best meant that he gave his life so that we could have this. And you know what? Jesus didn't waste a thing because the Bible is the most sold, most popular book in the entire world. We have it in our hands today. See, I don't know what your alabaster jar is, but you have one. You have something valuable. You have something that is, is in your hands that, that you can use to honor and to give God your best. And the question is going to be, what is it and how do you use it? And I want you to know that Jesus wants to honor you the way that he honored Mary and the way that he honored William Tyndale. Because when we give God our best, he uses it. He doesn't waste an ounce of it. So I got just three quick takeaways if you're taking notes or put them in the notes app on your phone. But just three quick takeaways for us. If, how does this look for us? How do we begin to, to give God our best? And here's the first one. Just simply start by sitting at Jesus' feet. That's what Mary did. She sat at Jesus' feet. She heard Jesus' teaching. She saw the look in his eye. She saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. And you and I can start sitting at Jesus' feet by being in this book, by being around other Christians, other believers, by hearing the stories, by reading the stories, by praying. Start by sitting at his feet because then we start to see that he really is who he says he is. And he really came to give us the life, the best life we could ever live. Secondly, remind yourself of what Jesus has given to you. Like, Don't spend the whole year not reading the Gospels. Read the Gospels regularly. Be reminded that Jesus came and he gave his life for you. He gave you his best because he loves you so much. Because he's crazy about you. Because he wants nothing more than to have a relationship with you. To restore what we were created for at the very beginning that we messed up in the garden long ago. And when we remind ourselves, we realize that Jesus doesn't just give us a little bit of the scraps. He gives us his best. But it has, we have to look at it that way. We have to see what it is truly that he's given us. And lastly, it's this. Make a plan to offer Jesus your best. Just be simple and intentional. Whatever that is. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's some energy. Maybe it's, it's having that conversation with the neighbor or the coworker because they're going to be the, your one this year. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's, it's time that Jesus is calling you to begin giving to what he's doing. Whatever it is, be intentional about it. Because Jesus uses our intentionality. And Jesus wants to use that to change us. 
Just imagine what Jesus would do in your life and in this church and in this city and in this community if we began to give him our best. Because the beautiful thing is when we give him our best, he doesn't waste anything and he gives us his best every single time. So let's be a church running together to give him our best. Would you pray with me?